Hello, hello, and welcome to Quarantine, a four-part mini-podcast about how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected the queer community in particular. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Danielle Fernandez, who is the LGBT navigator at the Proud Gender Center at the Robert Wood Johnson Hospital. So to start us off, I'd love to have him explain his career and what he does in his position and everything that has led up to him coming to this current position. Go ahead. All right. Thank you so much, Misha, for having me on your podcast. This is great. Um, so good morning. My name is Daniel Fernandez. I use he him pronouns. I'm the LGBT health navigator at the Proud Gender Center. Um, so essentially, we are a hub for uh, gender affirming resources, services, um, which also includes surgeries. Um, so we work with a team of doctors and providers in supporting um, the transgender and non-binary community and also the LGBTQ um, IA plus community as well. Um, so prior to my role here, I was actually a trainer for the Transgender Training Institute. Um, so I worked with uh, many educators in providing professional development trainings um, for schools, mental health providers, social service workers, around best practices working with the trans community. Um, so I've been doing uh, LGBTQ plus work um, and advocacy work uh, a little over seven years now, um, specifically working with uh, the trans youth population and, um, and advocating for uh, trans folks of color. Um, so super passionate about this work and really excited to be here with you. Well, thank you for coming on. It's, it's truly an honor to have someone with so much work in this field and wow, seven years of experience with this work. So that's really amazing and congrats on that. Um, I would love to know if you know about the timeline of the Proud Gender Center, like when was it created and what sparked its creation and kind of what milestones has it hit? Absolutely. Um, so Jackie Barras, who is our uh, director and also RN for um, the hospital, uh, started um, the Proud Center in Somerville um, with the support of also uh, Nicole Brownstein, who's a tremendous activist for the community. And they launched their first support group um, through the Bab Sipperstein Proud Center um, back in 2015. And um, then she transitioned roles to uh, the New Brunswick location, where she basically started the, the Proud Gender Center from the ground up. Um, and we established our first uh, support group called Proudly Me in 2018 um, with a community advisory panel at that time, uh, basically comprised of members from um, different nonprofit organizations and agencies who do LGBTQ work um, and coming together to oversee the, the center. Um, so since then, they've added me uh, in addition to Jackie um, to serve as the health navigator. Um, so essentially, I help guide folks through the healthcare system. So um, individuals will reach out, um, I'll screen them, assess them, and we will refer them to the appropriate uh, providers. Um, I also am in charge of doing educational um, and uh, cultural competency trainings 
um, for the hospital. And we also just recently launched our community advisory council, um, which we're, we're lucky that we have uh, 14 folks from all different backgrounds supporting us in, in overseeing um, our, our initiatives and in establishing goals um, moving forward for the center. So we have a lot of, a lot of up and coming things that uh, we're giving birth to through the center, hoping to expand our staff um, and we right now are operating out of um, out of an office here off Somerset, but we're going to be having our groundbreaking of our actual center, hopefully by next year. Um, so again, we have a, a lot of good things that we're we're working on and collaborating with other folks around. Wow, that's really awesome and. Like I've already said, it's really a blessing to be talking to someone who's at the forefront of making all this change. So I'm kind of starstruck. So <laughs> thank you for doing all this wonderful work. Um, so I guess now segueing into the theme of my podcast, um, we're going to be talking about how has COVID especially impacted the queer community? And my first question is, how are queer individuals, specifically queer youth, disproportionately affected by isolation? Absolutely. Um, so we, we know that um, trans and non-binary youth specifically are, um, you know, at higher rates of, for mental health, um, depression rates, suicide is very high amongst the community and, and especially with, with queer youth, um, we're seeing that a lot of folks um, reaching out to us, especially parents, are inquiring about mental health care services. Just over the course of the last year, um, I feel as though I've observed seeing anxiety um, really impacting the community at great rates, especially if you're already feeling estranged from your family um, and feeling as though uh, you know, you're, you're ostracized. Um, a lot of youth that we work with um, either have the support of one of their parents or oftentimes are calling just advocating for themselves and don't really have a strong support system. And that isolation in itself just impacts them even more. Um, that's why we're, we're really uh, strongly rooted in providing support groups and providing a family for those individuals. Um, and we're, we're also noticing that when folks receive um, the supports that they need, such as working with a, a gender specialist or an LGBTQ affirming um, therapist, um, that they're able to navigate other aspects of their life in a, in a more healthier way. Um, so having that, that strong support system um, is extremely uh, significant when it comes to mental health amongst trans youth. So you've been talking a lot about um, like support groups and the social aspect of the, the needed change. And I know that your background is in the education counseling side of this issue. So what role does education and visibility play in tackling this prejudice and discrimination? Absolutely. Um, so part of um, 
one of the things that I really wanted to prioritize in my role here was in, in providing trainings, not just for providers that we work with and, and doctors, but also front end staff, um, folks that, you know, greet patients right from, from the doorway to the receptionist, to folks in the cafeteria, anyone and everyone that someone would interact with so that we, we can say that we, we provide an, an affirming and, and safe space for folks. Um, you know, we're seeing incidents of transphobia play out in, in a lot of um, healthcare settings. A lot of people, you know, don't go see a doctor and, and delay and postpone going to, going to get a regular checkup just because of a, of a negative experience or experience any sort of homophobia or transphobia, which um, impacts someone's overall health. So if we're able to get into an office or a school or a department and train and work with those staff members and, and being able to provide uh, best practices, um, then we're able to kind of, you know, get the word out about, you know, what are um, the best ways to be allies and to um, be uh, fully inclusive. We're also working closely with our diversity and inclusion department um, and partnering up um, in, in doing these uh, educational trainings that we're hoping to launch more. Um, right now, I'm working closely with the Cancer Institute of New Jersey. Um, we're going to be providing a series of trainings to work with their social workers and also their staff. Um, but we're, we're excited and we're really happy to say that all of our providers, uh, endocrinologists, surgeons, primary care doctors uh, that we work with have all received training because it is really important that folks know how to support the, com the community. And oftentimes it just comes down to being able to show care and compassion. Um, and we're also working closely with educating our, uh, our medical students, which are, you know, up and coming doctors in the field that, that definitely need these trainings. Um, but also as important as it is to get folks trained and um, give people access to education, we also think it's just as important, if not important, to provide education around self-advocacy for the community. Um, because a lot of times people in our communities don't have access to information or mentors that, that can teach them how to advocate for themselves in a healthcare setting. So we're looking forward to doing more of that as well. I know that you mentioned that you're working um, not only through the lens of like the queer identity and queer identifier, but through all different identifiers and diversity in the hospital and looking at the intersection of these needs to see how minorities, even within the queer community, face even greater oppression. So could you speak to how minorities within the queer community or um, when layers of minorities build up, how that could cause even greater oppression, especially during a time of a pandemic? Yeah. Um... Definitely when it comes to uh, intersectionality, you know, a, a big part of that role um, for us is in not just building an awareness around, um, 
you know, folks from different marginalized backgrounds, but in also being able to um, specifically hone in on those communities and provide folks with resources and services. Um, so when I think of an intersection, I, I think of points that cross, right? So when we apply that to um, folks from different marginalized communities, um, those different identities are compounded in terms of the oppression that they experience, unfortunately. Um, so take, for example, someone who's transgender, um, a person of color, undocumented, um, and also disabled, not only having to navigate, um, you know, receiving services as someone who may be um, without any documentation or not having insurance, um, but also having to navigate things around gender and having to navigate things around being a person of color in a healthcare setting. Um, a lot of what we see too are folks within, um, you know, indigenous populations, black and brown communities, um, really being impacted by COVID at, at alarming rates and not being, um, having access to information, uh, whether it be vaccines, um, services such as hormone affirmation treatment. So we really want to not only create um, an awareness and help build empathy for the community, but in really focusing our initiatives on supporting um, specific communities within marginalized communities and, and being able to get the care and help that they need. There's so much that, that still needs to be done with that. I know that that can especially be an issue, especially with distrust in medical institutions, because when you come to a pandemic or epidemic where it's necessary that the citizens feel connected with the medical facilities, but there's a history of medical abuse with different minorities, that can only exacerbate the kind of disparity that you have in the health quality of different populations. So um, I really hope that that's something that our society can take steps to dispel and, and you know, build trust. Um, so I was wondering, what can I do or any listeners do to support the queer community or, or different marginalized populations during this time, during the pandemic? Absolutely. And I appreciate you asking that, Misha. Um, I think uh, something that, that you're already doing right now is centering you know, our voices and using your platform to raise awareness, which is fantastic. So um, I always encourage folks to um, use their platform, use their, their resources, use their privilege to center BIPOC um, and, and queer and other marginalized communities um, and, and being able to share their stories and bringing folks to the table. A lot of times, you know, we're brought to the table but don't necessarily have the opportunity to use our voice or speak. Um, another great thing is in uh, funding and donating to um, specific organizations, agencies, companies, 
um, queer and, and trans-led organizations that, that do the work, um, such as the Transgender uh, Training Institute um, and other organizations that um, are, are led and um, also have uh, uh, workers that specifically advocate for specific populations. Um, another thing is in, in simply educating yourself, um, making sure that you're being proactive and you're being a visible ally, um, making folks, um, you know, feel welcomed in your space, asking people for their name and pronouns is something simple that, that we could do every single day. Um, so doing things like that on a, on a greater scale, we definitely want to be able to provide um, employment opportunities, uh, especially folks within um, the, the BIPOC community and trans community hiring uh, queer and, and trans individuals to, to work, um, making sure that, that we advocate for their rights and, and in making sure that everyone has access to healthcare. Um, so, so doing things like that and working in, in your, in your GSAs, if, if you're a youth middle school and high school, getting involved, um, creating committees around that, using your voice, um, and, and making it known that, um, you know, there, there are needs and, and communities that are in need and, you know, everyone and everyone can take part in this and do their part in the work. All right, those were some fabulous tips and ways that we can all get involved to, you know, make a change. Because sometimes, you know, as an individual person, such a large and systemic issue can feel like I won't even be making like a drop in an ocean here. But if we all work together, we can definitely make a change. Um, I also want to ask, what are ways that we can specifically help the Proud Gender Center? at RWJ? Sure, so um, as we expand our center, we're definitely looking for folks to volunteer um, and also in providing internship opportunities, which we're really excited about. Um, so for anyone who is interested in, in volunteering or um, doing an internship with us, they can definitely reach out to me directly. Um, we have uh, a bunch of programs in place um, that we could definitely use folks support around. Um, we're going to be uh, expanding our support groups. So and looking for folks to facilitate them. Um, so we're definitely open to new ideas and, and connecting with other folks, not just adults, but also we want to get youth involved in, in, in doing uh, work with us as well. So again, for anyone who's interested or or has ideas as well that they would like to contribute, um, they can definitely connect with me. All right, on that note, how can we connect with you and how can we reach you? Sure, so my uh, email address is daniel.mylastnamefernandez at rwjbh.org. Um, so they can reach out to me directly um, to send your information and we can set up a time to, to talk. All right. So now that we've come to a close with our 20 minute episode period, I'd love to ask you, um, just, are there any last things that you want to say? Any last message or last, um, shout out of ways that we can connect with you or the Proud Gender Center at RWJ? 
um, yeah, this space is yours to say whatever you want to the listeners. Thank you. Um, so we're really excited to be launching our uh, Spanish-speaking support group next, or actually this month, we're in June already. Um, so this group will be uh, specifically for uh, trans and non-binary Spanish-speaking individuals um, who also are in the Latinx community. Um, so we're really looking forward to launching that, and it's going to be in partnership with Zufall Health. Um, so we have um, their support uh, with this, and they'll be facilitating the, the group with us. Um, we also have our Proudly Me support group, which meets um, the second Thursday of the month, which is open to the community, family members, and loved ones. Um, other great partnerships that we have are with the Pride Center of New Jersey. They also um, have done tremendous work for the community, um, as well as the Trans Affirming Alliance. They're based out of Montclair, New Jersey. Um, they provide uh, legal support for folks that need assistance around their name change and gender marker. They also have uh, staff that speak Spanish, so for anyone that needs support with that. And lastly, I wanna give a shout out to uh, Danielle King at the Babs Sipperstein. Uh, Proud Center in Somerville. Um, she's their LGBT health navigator there. So we've been working together to really help uh, change the culture here at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital. Um, so again, for, for anyone that needs support, whether it's um, seeking out services, being linked to a doctor, uh, resources, or just needs someone to help, you know, navigate their their own journey or walk and talk through their their own transition i'm here as a recourse for you all um, so please uh feel free to reach out um whenever and thank you again misha i really appreciate this well all thanks to you for taking some time out of your busy schedule to come talk to me and I really hope that whoever listens to this um, will reach out and benefit from all these resources. So once again, thank you so much. I know you're a very busy person, so I'm so happy that I got the chance to interview you and archive this wonderful work that you're doing here. All right. Well, this comes to a close of our interview. Um, thank you so much. Bye, everyone, and happy Pride Month. Bye.